Well, it's good to be back with you. I had a, just a really good writing break. I, I, I can't even begin to express to you how grateful I am to have a space to sit down and organize my thoughts for, you know, it's been decades of doing work with marriages and families and, you know, how do you begin to do that? But I'm about 93% done with this book and it's, it's really a gift, you know, to... I just, so I just want to say thank you. I, I really, really, really do appreciate this space. But that's not what I'm here to talk to you about. I, I get to talk to you about a fantastic verse, Romans 8, 28. It's, it's one of those verses that you, you hear it in songs. You hear people talk about it. They'll quote it to you. Uh, you'll, you'll read devotions on it. You'll see it on bumper stickers. You'll, you'll see it all over the place. And it, for good reason, it's a glorious verse. It's carefully placed like a diamond right in the middle of this incredible treatise of faith that we call the letter of Romans. And it comes right in the placement in the midst of an unlikely setting. If it is a diamond, it's kind of weird where it's placed because it comes in the midst of talk about suffering and weakness and unpredictability. We like unpredictability, don't we? Yeah. And yet this verse, it oozes hope. It, it's soaked with God's sovereign goodness and his ability to grab all he needs to and begin to work it into good. And it's there. So let's, let's read it together. That's why it's kind of spaced the way it is. Can we read this together? Ready? And we know... That in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Excellent. He did way better than first service. (laughs) You get a little, like, smiley face on your paper. When I first started to look at this verse afresh, I was struck by this word, and. It just kept coming back to me. And as I wrote out the scripture and began to kind of take it apart, I, I realize in, in the chapter it's placed, there's 16 times the word and is there. We don't often talk about that. It's, a, it's, a, it's actually quite an important word in, in Greek phraseology. And, and 14 times in this chapter, it's really relating something that's super important. And what I realize is this, this word and is, is like a thread. And it's like when you, you pull a thread I don't know if you've ever done this where you, someone goes, oh, Steve, you've got a loose thread on your sweater, and they pull it, and all of a sudden your sweater starts unraveling because it's connected to other threads that are connected to other threads that are connected to other threads, and it's all connected. It's all together. And it reminded me, as I was pulling these pieces of Romans 8 out of a show I used to watch as a kid, I, I guess it's still on. I, I don't really watch much TV, but I, I guess the show's on. Do you guys remember the show, Let's Make a Deal? Monty Hall. And when I was a kid, I, I couldn't win anything. You know, I was just really bad at, at like, winning contests or anything. So I, there was something about the show. It's a little weird. People get dressed up in goofy costumes and hop around like they've had too much sugar. And, you know, so, and they're down there. But the part that I loved about the show was when they would win. 
And then, then the, Monty Hall would say to Jay, tell them what they want. And I would just lean towards the TV in anticipation. And they go, it's a new car. And you're like, whoa, give me a whoa, like a fireworks, whoa. Like that, yeah. The whole audience would just go, whoa. And then you think, wow, that's amazing. He won a new car. But then Jay would go on and goes, but that's not all. And you go, you're kidding me. There's more. Oh, yes, you get an all-expense trip to the Grand Canyon. And the crowd would go, yeah. And then people are like, ah. And then Jay would go, and there's more. And you go, you're kidding me. You know, as this kid that never won anything, I'm like, this is is crazy. Here's there's free gas for a year for your new car and a new stereo with all the greatest hits. And the crowd would go, yeah. It was just like, oh, experience. And it almost would beat the breath out of you. And you go, I, I can't believe how crazy that package deal was. But it's nothing compared to what you get in Romans 8. And what all those ands mean. So what I want to do is I want to read it to you in my best J voice. And kind of unpack what, what Paul is threading through to this verse. Are you ready? Tell them what you want, Mark. Well, for starters, folks, there is now no more condemnation. That's right, folks. No fear of falling short. You're doing great. No shame. It is gone. Wait, but that's not all. And now you have real life. God life. And it's absolutely free. And wait, there's more. Freedom from that old tyrant sin. And eternal and absolute forever deliverance from death. And just when you think that there can't be more, there is. Your God has fulfilled all the righteous requirements for you. And they're not only free, but those righteous things have been fulfilled. And you are right. And you are going to stay right because he's made you right. And God's not done yet. No, he's put his spirit in you, and that spirit gives you his life, and that spirit shouts from within you, you're mine. But God's not done yet. There is still more. His Holy Spirit keeps testifying that you really are his kids, reminding that you are fully and completely adopted, which also means that you are joint heirs with his son Jesus. It means, ladies and gentlemen, that you are forever in the family and in the will. And we're still not done. Isn't this crazy? That same spirit also helps us in our weakness and prays through us and for us according to his best will. And yes, we can be sure that God is working everything together for good. That's just chapter 8, ladies and gentlemen. 
I mean, I, I, as I was writing, I was, I was like right back there, like a third grader watching Monty Hall. What? What? Look at that. It's, it's incredible. And it's, it's all tied to this word and. And, and, and. But, but here's the deal. Life's not really like a game show, which is probably good. <laughs> There's a lot more happening here than just fun and games. There's you. There's me. There's a world around us, which right now seems a little crazy. There's the king and his kingdom, and it's all happening. It's all happening in this tight place where, you, you know, if, if that's you, what, what we're feeling in this tension is, is what we know and then God working. And they're, they're two important things, and it's the place where we feel tension. It's the place where our life sometimes feels the strain of this verse. If that's true, what's going on? And so what I want to talk to you about are these two pieces of that verse. We know, and God's working. And this first one about we know is very important. Because we read that, and we think it means no like we mean no, but it, it's not. You see, it's not like, oh, I know that. Oh, I got that down. It, it isn't like that. It's, it's because we go through plenty of experiences in life where when we're going through them, even though we know this first, it doesn't make me go, oh, this is going to be just fine. Because I don't know about you, but I've had some ups and downs in life where sometimes on those down swings, I wasn't so sure it was going to work for good. I was feeling the strain. And part of the problem was I didn't know everything. I didn't know where it was going. I didn't know how God was going to work it out. And I felt the pressure of that. And so what, what Paul is saying when he uses this phrase, we know, is a little bit like this idea of we see in part. We know in part. In 1 Corinthians 13, he says, For now we see in a mirror dimly. Then face to face. Now I, I know in part. And so we, we, we see only pieces as we go through life. We, we only get glimpses sometimes, a little bit. Sometimes we don't even know at all what he's doing. or We, we can't understand. The only thing that we can really know is what the book says, that there's a sovereign God. He really does have the whole world in his hand. Nothing moves him. He moves the world. Nothing shakes him. He's unshakable. Nothing changes him. He's unchangeable. He's the rock. And that is what's holding you and I. But it's a ride. And so I want to take two case studies from the Bible that I think really reflect what we experience in life. The first case study is one where you see enough of God's plan that you kind of launch out to do it in your own strength. Has anybody done this here? I've done that. It's like, oh, I see. Take the rest of the day off, Father. And we take it from there and, hmm, not so good. And then the second case study will be a, a little bit different angle. It's where we see God's plan. And, and we think when we see it, we know how it's going to roll out. And it's going to be easy. It's just going to roll out just like we want it to. And these kind of two cases 
Help us to realize the fullness of what Paul is saying in this glorious verse. The first case is Moses, one of my favorite biblical characters, certainly one of my favorite leaders in Scripture. And it's astounding. If you go to Exodus 2, if you have your Bibles, you want to look there. It's kind of amazing sometimes when the Bible is telling stories and information. In 22 verses, you read about this tumultuous change in leadership in Egypt. Moses is born into this. He's sent down a river in a basket. You kind of know the story. He's discovered by Egyptians. He's adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. He grows up enough to figure some things out. He defends a Hebrew slave. He inadvertently winds up killing the Egyptian guard. He flees. He rescues some women that he meets in this strange place around a well. They bring him to the house. He meets their dad, who happens to be a Midianite priest, who then gives him one of his daughters. It sounds wild. And in less than a chapter, Moses is born, adopted, raised, blows it, gets married, and has a son. 22 verses, all right there. You know, and you go, wow. But there's so many things that are happening in this. And in particular, what I, what I want to highlight to you is in verse 15, this, now Moses has, he grew up and he's looking at these people that he looks more like them than he does like the Egyptians he lives with. And he's probably in his teen years and he's starting to discover and have an awareness and epiphanies of, I, I don't really, you know, I don't, who am I? Where do I fit? And somehow in the course of this, there's the stirrings of God's call in his life to be a deliverer. And he walks out into this scenario and he sees this tumult happening. And he's tired of seeing these people that he has a growing affinity and care for. He's calling them his people. And so he acts in a way that he knows how to. And it goes south. This guy dies, and in this verse 15, it says, When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh. He sat down in the land of Midian and sat down by a well. Now imagine with me, Moses. First of all, can, can you imagine how, how it feels like I killed somebody? And now they want to kill me. I'm a wanted man. I, everyone that I know back there, I, I can't go back to. And you're in a strange land. What's going on? How do you think he's feeling? Al- alone? Scared? What else? What next? Yeah. Boy, have you ever said that when you're in a jam? Oh, what next? What else? Guilt, rejected, overwhelmed. Do you think he's like, whoa, I'm God's vessel of power and anointing and deliverance? No. Do you think maybe he's starting to even question, where's God? Where's God in this? We know after he has this son, he names his son Gershom, which literally means I'm a sojourner in a foreign land. Alone, afraid, lost, confused, dejected, failure. Could God ever use 
someone like me. I think he's pretty much hung up his cleats. How could God ever use me? But God. Is he working? Does Moses know he's working? Does Moses know that he's hearing the cries of the Israelites who are in slavery saying, send a deliverer? Does he know it's going to be him? And then he receives the call. I think part of his reticence is, can you imagine this, the lack of surety you would have? Why would you send me? I've killed some guy. I've blown it so unbelievably. It's an astounding story. It doesn't just roll out real easy when he goes back. In fact, if you read the story, I encourage you to. You go back and you read the story. The very first day he's on, jo- on the job, the people that he's going to deliver want to kill him because now they have to make bricks with no straw and their life is already hard enough. And yet, this God who works everything out for good is working. You know the story. There will come a time, plague after plague after plague. Pretty soon, Pharaoh's magicians can't match what God is doing. God is going to usher them out, not over a bridge, but through a sea. He's going to show himself strong and to say, I am the God who works everything for good. The surety. Does Moses know how? No. But does Moses know he will? Yes. Our second case study is a little bit different in the sense of here's a teenage guy that gets two really cool dreams from God. His name is Joseph. In the book of Genesis, I don't know if you've ever gotten a dream from God or someone has shared a word from God for you or a vision from God and you hear it and you go, oh, that'll be so awesome. Kind of like someone saying, Steve Horvath, God is going to work patience in you. It's going to be so good. (laughs) You know. Joseph gets these dreams. These are pretty cool dreams because Joseph has got these brothers around him and in the dreams, everybody's bowing down to him. So he's excited. He's pretty sure they're from God, and that's cool. Everyone's going to bow down, so he tells the family, and they throw him a party, a going-away party. You know the story. He's loaded into slavery with these Midianite trainers and taken to a faraway land. Now stop there. Did God send the dreams? What in the world is going on? This is good. This is good. And so off he goes into slavery and he gets purchased by one of the Pharaoh's lead guards, Potiphar. And this is astounding to me. In Genesis 39, verse 3, this is what it says about this guy who's going through this season. When his master, that's Potiphar, saw that the Lord was with him, that he gave him success in everything he did. What? How, God, are you with him? 
he's being sold into slavery in a faraway land by brothers who are not brothers. What? Is this good? And so he moves along, and it's unbelievable some of the, the prosperity that God gives him in this context until Potiphar's wife decides to make a pass at him. You know the story. And you see Joseph is who he is in the light and the dark. He runs away, does the right thing, but instead of a promotion, he gets jail. Jail? Jail? Come on, God. Isn't slavery enough? Jail? For nothing that he's done? And you read in the verse, it says, but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. what it says. It says he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And now Joseph becomes in charge of the prison. Well, is that it? Is that the bowing down? Is that what the dreams are about? Is that his promotion? No. That's not it. No. And while he's there and God is showing him favor. There's two characters that, that wind up in prison that worked for the king, and they have dreams themselves. And they tell them to Joseph. And Joseph tells them what they mean. One's not so good, the other's good. That's the chief cupbearer. Finds out that he's going to be restored to his position. And Joseph says to him, Listen, if I've been good to you, be good to me, remember me. Just tell Pharaoh. He doesn't. Have you ever been in an experience in a time where you feel like, does anybody remember me? Do you remember me? Do you remember where I am? And here's Joseph. Now get this. Next set of verses. It says, when two Full years had passed. Pharaoh had a dream. Two years? Two years, God? You're going to wait two years? You've got to be kidding me. And isn't it true when we're in those places that we can't understand, why am I here? What did I do? What's this about? And you're waiting and you're wondering and you're thinking, why are you taking so much time? I know in those times I dial my 1-800-GOD-HELP and I'm expecting, you know, I just want to see God just go, woo, gotcha. But remember, he is working all things. We can't see it. And so here in this moment, oh, the cupbearer has a revelation. Oh, snap, that's right, Pharaoh. There's this guy in jail. I should have remembered him. And he introduces Joseph to Pharaoh. I, I, just a quick aside, I, I, I just love the character of jo Joseph because it says here in verse 14 of chapter 41, it says, Pharaoh sent for Joseph. He was quickly brought from the dungeon. Not a nice place. And it says, when he shaved and changed his clothes, he came to Pharaoh. I just thought, what a cool guy. He wants to look presentable. He takes a moment to clean up, and he, he goes up 
Pharaoh says, I got this dream. Can you, can you do it? He says, I can't. God can. And he tells Pharaoh what his dream's about. And Pharaoh says this about this guy. Can we find anyone like this guy in whom rests the Spirit of God? And in a moment, he goes from the dungeon to being elevated to being second in all of Egypt, the superpower of the world. From down here to up here in a moment, he's promoted, has the king's signet ring, which means he can sign anything for the king anytime he wants. Is this the fulfillment of the dream? No. There's more. You can hear Jay shout from the back curtain, no, Joseph, there's more. Because you and I know there's a problem of those stinky rat brothers. His family. But you know, how many of you have older brothers? You have older brothers? Yeah. I was the older brother. I was a stinky rat. <laughs> but you see, God is about to work on that. Because the word says that God works everything. Everything. Not a jot or tittle. Nothing escapes his eye. Nothing is going to be released from his grasp. Everything. Everything. You see the everything work in Jesus when he says, after he feeds the multitudes, he tells them, pick up the leftovers, let nothing be wasted. That isn't because Jesus is a neat freak and loves leftovers. There's a lesson. God doesn't waste a thing. Not a thing. And so, in a series of events, his brothers come looking for food and everything, and you, you wind up in chapter 45. This is the part that I, I just, my heart breaks for Joseph because it says there in verse 1, Joseph could no longer control himself before the tents. He cried out, have everyone leave my presence. I mean, here's this powerful person. Leave. So he's there just with his brothers. And here's what it says in Scripture. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him. And Pharaoh's household heard it. And Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. Do you recognize me? Is my father still alive? I mean, I read the story, and I, I just put myself in his shoes, and I'm like, do you guys have any idea what I've been through? Here he is, he realized how God has been working his character into this guy. Because as the discourse goes on, he says, listen, so then it was not you who sent me here, but God. For the salvation of many. Wow. Unbelievable. Was God working? Everything? Did Joseph have any clue? Man, had he known as a teenager what those dreams meant, I don't know. He might have run like a man on fire. But you see, these stories, all kinds of stories, are telling us what's working. It's 
working in our lives. Because here's what it says in Psalm 105. Until what he had said came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. And that, that phrase, test, means refined. It's like the refiner's fire. Oh, we like to sing about it, but do we like to go through it? It's hot. It's confusing. We feel like we're melting because we are. And there is something that's happening in those places where we are being deeply imprinted by the very hands of God. And there is no other way to form and shape the image of his son in Mark Spencer lest he get down here. Mark Spencer will not get it if he's up here and everything's going fine for Mark Spencer. He'll just want to do Mark Spencer. But take Mark Spencer to the valley. And let Mark Spencer know that he is the God of the valley. That there is nothing that happens in the valley that is apart from the sovereign control and power of God. And then he says, get on up, son. Get up. Get up. Everything, every single thing is going to work for good. Talk to me. Where have you grown? To know the depths of his riches, the power of his kindness. Has it been up here or has it been down here? Talk to me. We don't like to admit it, do we? Because we think, oh no, what's going to happen this week? (laughs) Where are we forged? Into the beautiful image of Jesus. Some can happen up here, let's be real. In those good moments, absolutely. But where? Where do we begin to take on the shape and the form? The hot fires. Is this not true? And God wants us to know in the middle of this book, in the middle of times like this, in the middle of this place, that you may not know all of what he's doing. You may not know how he's going to do it. You may not see how it will end. But you can know that you know that you know that there is a God who says, I will work everything for good. Everything. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. It is definitely a light onto our path. You know where people are at this morning. You know where they are. Are they in the valley, the desert? Maybe they're on the mountaintop. Holy Spirit, just in a deep way, grip our souls. Write deeply on our hearts and minds. You are working, always working for good.
God with us. 